You're listening to The Process with Peter Varden, presented by Open Studio. What's going on? I'm here with my good friend Warren Wolf, straight from Baltimore, Maryland. What's going on, Warren? Everything's cool. All right. Everything's good. All right. Thanks for being here on the process. Um, you're one of my favorite musicians and one of my favorite people, so I've really been looking forward to this and uh, just getting into the process of Warren, the musician, the history, all that great stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so if it's cool with you, I'd love to go back to the not-so-humble beginnings of Warren <laughs> Wolf yeah. in Baltimore. I know that you were somewhat of a child prodigy because I've seen uh, VHS recordings of you playing as a very young boy mm-hmm. at a very high level. So when did you actually start? What instrument did you start on? And when did you actually start playing music? Um, I started playing music at the age of three. So that was 1983 for me. I was born in 79. So... Um, To my earliest memory, my dad, his name is Warren Wolf Sr., he uh, uh, started me on the, uh, honestly, it, it was a mix between, like, vibes or marimba slash, with, I mean, co- with the combination of the drums. Um, and then a few years later, like, by the time I was five, he started giving me uh, basic lessons on the piano. Mm. So, uh, that's... The very beginnings, right there. So you were you were, you started on mallets. I mean, that was that was really your 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 earliest musical instrument. And yeah, well, I tried to basically everything that he played because okay. even though he was uh, he's retired now, but he was a history teacher in Baltimore City Public Schools. He taught United States and world history, but uh, he also had a band in the Baltimore D.C. area uh, called Wolfpack. Same as my band, except I spelled mine with a K. He just, you know, spelled W-O-L-F-P-A-C. That's for legal reasons, That's right? That's right. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, he, uh, they played around town on the weekends. So my dad and his band, he played vibes um, and uh, marimba and the percussion. Mm-hmm. But he also had knowledge of um, drums and piano. I mean, he's self-taught on everything. You know, being a historian, they read all the time. So mm-hmm. he just read nothing but books in order to learn how to play music. So at the age of three, that's how he got me started. You know, he's, he was like, all right, let me give my son some lessons and let's see what happens. Right. So at the beginning, was it mostly your dad um, kind of, I mean, I know, I mean, I don't, I don't remember anything from when <laughs> I was three. I started music at three, too. But I'm just, I mean, maybe, maybe you've heard from like him telling you or your mom taking pictures or something. But was, was he just like showing you stuff or were you actually start, starting to read music then? Or were you I was starting to read music. We were playing, uh, you know, little tiny things. Like, uh, honestly, the one thing that I really remember for the most part was playing Minuet and G. Mm. Um, th- you know, just the top line, not not the, the left hand, you know. But Come I was, on, at three? You only <laughs> do the top line? <laughs> yeah, only the top line, but that was on Marimba. I wasn't quite ready for the piano yet. Um, so I was playing that on the Marimba. Mm-hmm. Um like I said, I didn't get to piano just yet. And when it came to the drums, I was uh, probably, I wasn't reading anything. I think I was just, he was just showing me like little beats to play. Mm-hmm. Uh, nothing jazz related, but just small little beats to try on the drums. And um, we had this song that we made up. It was just drums and piano that he would play. It was just, uh, it, it was, the song kind of sounds like Record Me, but we didn't call it that. It was just mm-hmm. our song. And that ended with this little drum um solo that I will always play at the end and you know I guess it was it was cute to see a three-year-old do that <laughs> <laughs> right yeah so, I bet I bet yeah nice okay so so you you were starting on the mallets getting into the drums already reading music um and then I know that you you got into you know quite heavily into the classical music mm-hmm. thing at the mallet instruments how did that start well my dad again was teaching me a lot of basic stuff at home but he wanted me to have the training of a classical musician. Mm-hmm. So along with uh, practicing with him, my, my practice schedules with him uh, lasted from the age of three until 17, um, five days a week from 5.30 to 7 o'clock. So that was a half hour on each instrument in no particular order. It was just 30 minutes on each. So 
he wanted to take it a step further. So he enrolled me at Peabody um, Preparatory, which is a part of John Hopkins University in Baltimore. And he enrolled me with a guy named Leo LePage. He's now deceased, but Leo was a member of the Baltimore Symphony for years. Also, it was great that uh, Leo was from the Boston area, and he played a lot of jazz drums before he joined the symphony orchestra. So it was kind of a good thing to study with him. So Leo really refined my reading by, you know, um, on the marimba. We didn't, we wasn't doing anything jazz related shit, mm-hmm. but we did a lot of classical pieces. Um, at least at the time, there were not any pieces that were really made for marimba. So what we did, we started um, playing pieces that were made for violin, flute, or piccolo because those three instrument, instruments they fit really well on the marimba. And every now and then, I mean, we also did a lot of total percussion too, but uh, mainly like the snare drum etudes. Mm-hmm. Every now and then we would come and get on a drum set and he would like, all right, this is how you swing a little bit. But, you know, we didn't do too much of that. It was a classical school, so we're sticking with classical. Um, but that was the, the early beginnings of that. I still had a little bit of a regular music, I should call it, that I was listening to because my dad, you know, his band, they weren't just a jazz band. They were kind of like a wedding band, but they didn't play weddings. They played a lot of nightclubs and stuff like that. So it was kind of like a, a smooth jazz slash contemporary slash jazz band. Mm-hmm. So they played a lot of like blues-oriented songs like like Sugar, Summertime, My Funny Valentine, things like that. But then they would easily flip the script and play something from um, the Yellow Jackets mm. or Spiral Gyra. And then they would turn around and say, okay, let's play something, you know, of the music of the 80s. You know, let's, they were really big on playing Anita Baker mm-hmm. uh, from that record called um, Sweet Love, which was huge back then. So um, I was hearing all of this stuff. That was rap. Was it Rapture? Yeah, yeah, Rapture. Yep, yeah. Yep, yep. That's the name of the record. I thought it was yeah. Sweet Love. Yeah, Rapture. Yep. So, um I was hearing all of that music, and also at the same time, both my parents, you know, they grew up in the uh, uh, 50s and 60s, so they were playing lots and lots of uh, doo-wop and, and Motown around the house. So I got a chance to hear all that Temptations, Jackson 5, you know, the, when Motown was in its glory days. You know? Right, right, right. So. That's great. So so really, I mean, even by the time you were 10 or so, it sounds like you had, you know, just a myriad of musical influences you know, you had the classical thing, the technique, the multiple instruments, mm-hmm. um, really hearing a lot of different styles, even getting introduced to some jazz with the classical thing, the pop thing, the funk thing. Yep. And, you know, okay, so now it's making sense, Warren Wolf, the genius, when I met you. <laughs> I can see how this is happening. Now, what about, did you know, uh, I'm sure your, your dad must have recognized it in you, but the whole, like, your ears being at such a high level, the perfect pitch, and being able to really recognize harmony and stuff. When did that happen? I don't think he recognized it. So, along with my classes at, my lessons at Peabody, I also took a um, a theory class, which is not like jazz, you know, theory, but that classical theory, when you right. have rules and regulations and <laughs> right, everything. Right, right, So, um, I was pretty awful in the class. I, I didn't <laughs> fail, but I was just, I had barely passing grades for the class but in my progress reports my teacher always wrote to my parents you know Warren needs help with this he needs help with this he doesn't understand this but the one positive thing that she always said was he has a great ear Mm. I didn't know you know what she meant and I didn't find out until um I mean I knew something was happening like in 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 middle school Mm -hmm. now what happened in middle school I was in the jazz band typical jazz band with um uh, lots of trumpets, trombones, saxophones, but we didn't have a bass player. We had a tuba player mm-hmm. walking the bass lines or blowing the bass lines. Right. So um, one song in particular that, that I remember that we played, it was a tune called Louie Louie. So the song is in, in B-flat major. And on that song, you know, actually the jazz parts back then, at least for 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 schools, they everything was written out, solos and everything. Right. Uh-huh. Um, so they had this one section where it wasn't written out for the piano. I was playing piano solo in this band. So I didn't know anything, anything. I mean, nothing at all about <laughs> playing chord changes. But what I did know how to do was how to play what was popular on the radio at the time. So this is like 1990 or 91. There was a tune, uh, I think her name was Crystal Waters. And the name of the song was titled Gypsy Woman or something like that. It was very popular, like 
techno dance song. Right. And that song was in D minor. And like I said, Louis Louis was in B flat major. Mm-hmm. So anyway, when my piano solo came around, like doing our school assemblies or, you know, little concerts outside the school, I would always play the song for my solo. Mm-hmm. You know, what? not an actual right-hand solo. I just played the song. <laughs> and uh, I used to always wonder to myself, like, how did I actually know how to play this song? <laughs> and I've never practiced it. So I never thought about it. I was like, whatever, because I, I never took music seriously. I knew I could do it, but I didn't think I would have a career in it. So fast forward to my high school days. Uh, this is my my uh, freshman year in high school, Baltimore School for the Arts. Um, a lot of kids were, we were all in this practice room, and they were trying to figure out how to play this this. Uh, this hot R&B song at the time by Mary J. Blige called Real Love. Mm-hmm. And nobody could play it. So here I am, this little 13-year-old kid. I said, hey, I can play it. And they, everybody turned around like, who is this? And I said, watch me, I can play it. So I played it, having never played it before. So all the kids were like, how do you do that? I was like, I don't know. And then somebody just randomly said to me, we think you have perfect pitch. And I was like, nah. <laughs> and so they, they said, oh, let's see. And I, they started playing notes, and I just named it right back. And... That's how I knew I had a, a good ear. Wow. So that was all the way up to age 13. Mm-hmm. You were starting music at the instrument at three. So 10 years in that you that you fully discovered yeah. it. Yeah, I had amazing. good ears, but I just never knew. Like, I could always pick things up, you know. I've done little concerts, you know, with my dad before then playing in nightclubs when I shouldn't should not have been in nightclubs. <laughs> um, again, just playing the blues scale a lot because that's – I watched him do it, and I picked it up quickly. He never really explained it to me. But, you right. know, I was like, okay, he can do that. I can do it. So. Right, right. Well, I think that this, uh, you know, for me, the more I talk to great improvisers, great jazz musicians, really just great musicians that can express their creativity through their instrument, mm-hmm. um, I love making kind of connections between um, the backgrounds of mm-hmm. these musicians. And kind of it sort of helps people, I think, that want to maybe capture a little bit of that creativity, that spontaneity, that really that spirit and essence of jazz and go through that process of like, how do you do this? And I always see this recurring thing of like what you were talking about, how you took the pop tune and put it on Mm -hmm. Louie Louie because you heard it. Like you didn't sit and say, okay, well, this is what the chord is. (laughs) Will this fit according to these rules? But it's kind of like coming from that standpoint of you can hear something but you don't know exactly what it is, and you just try something. So you're going to go to the thing, the closest thing that either you know or that's in your ears or that you think is going to work. Yeah, and yeah. I think going through that process is such a big part of becoming an improviser. That kind of you have to be fearless. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can't like if you had just said, "Well, you know what? I'm going to wait until I really understand what these the chords of Louis Louis," which maybe isn't too much anyway. No, it wasn't. but I mean, it was only like four <laughs> three chords. But yeah, but I, I, mean, <laughs> I remember back know. at that time, like that's like I remember I used to see those like middle school. Um, same thing, the jazz man charts, and then we go to the chord changes, and I thought I understood chords. They would say, like, C major 7, and then sometimes it would say C7. I was like, that's weird, because all I knew was a dominant chord. Mm-hmm. And I was like, that's weird, because sometimes they call it major, oh, oh, well, so I played everything with a dominant 7, yeah. even if it was C major 7. And I remember that sometime the, somebody came up and was like, you know, there's this chord, and showed me, like, the band director. Mm-hmm. kind of. I was like, whoa, that's a whole nother sound, you know. Mm-hmm. And I kind of knew that sound, but I didn't know that's what it was called. Yeah. But I think we were lucky, too, to be at that age where we could play our instruments and experiment and try different things and just go for it, you know? Because, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I mean, when I see you play now and when we're on the gig and I, I get a chance to interact with you musically, to me, it's that same thing. Like, like you have that, that, that fearlessness and, I mean, obviously, it's at such a higher level, but it's that same kind of childlike spirit of, like, I'm just going to go for something. We're going to have fun. And, and you know, I, the audience reacts when we do that. That's, yeah. And that's that's what's happening. And that's what happened with me. The orders are reacting. I was like, oh, I think I can do this for real. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, right. But I mean, then you know, it's just so interesting in your background where you kind of had 
the perfect storm of all these elements, you know, starting the instrument at a young age, but at a very serious level, because I know we've talked about this before, and when you, whenever you talk about your dad, it was like, this was the schedule, these were the instruments, mm-hmm. and you were talking about when you were 16, 17, I know that started at a young age, and like having that kind of discipline, the technique, but then also having all the other side where you're hearing different kind of music, you've got the freedom to be able to try stuff out. Yeah. And um, I mean, it's, it's, it's just a really cool process mm-hmm. to go through, you know, so. Okay, so I want to just jump back real quick um, to, because I know you did some, uh, some playing and touring with the Baltimore Symphony at a young age as well. What was that like, and what were you playing, and what was your age at that time? Um, I think the first time I ever did some work with them, and this was through my teacher, Leo. Mm-hmm. Um, I was about seven or eight years old. Mm-hmm. Um, the symphony was premiering. I don't think premiering. It was just their turn to play this piece. It was a piece by John Carigliano mm. titled The um, the Pop Piper Fantasy. And it's based on the story of the uh, Pop Piper of Hamlin. So if you all know the story, I was one of the little kids who the piper took away from the town. So what they did in the orchestra, they hired myself and maybe... Uh, 15 other kids from the prep program. So let's just say like seven other field drummers. I was a drummer and seven of the flautist. Mm-hmm. Um, and we all came on stage like toward the end of the piece. And we we played this little tune and that was it. So we had our 10 minutes of fame <laughs> and, and we were let off the stage <laughs> in, you know, correlation to the story of the Pop Piper and Pamela. So we actually went on tour with the Baltimore Symphony for about two weeks. And, you know, I didn't. I still didn't, this is before middle school, I didn't really think anything of it. I was like, cool, you know, my mom is coming with me and I get to stay in cool hotels for two weeks. Uh, I'm not sure if we got paid. If we did, my mom kept the money and she probably used it to her college or something like that. But uh, that was my very, very first time playing with them. And then um, I would say over the years, I started doing, like, from between the age of 7 and 17. 17 is when I graduated high school. That was, um, I did a lot of solo work with them. Right. You know, just playing pieces from uh, sonatas or, or concertos. Or, uh, no symphonies, but just concertos and things like that. Um, and that was usually marimba, right? Always marimba. Always yeah, marimba. Yeah, never, never any vibes. You, the vibraphone is not an instrument that you normally see in the orchestra. I mean, if you did see it, it's just going to be for, like, some bell effect, but... Mm-hmm. More or less, you're, you're more likely to hear like a, the Glockenspiel or something like that if you, if you want to hear a bell effect. But right. you know, never the vibes. There's really. no love for the vibes in the orchestra. No, that's no, what jazz never is that. for. <laughs> <laughs> that's what jazz so, is for. That's right. So, but yeah, I did a lot of work with the symphony um, on and off for about ten years. And once I graduated high school, I was pretty much done. Right, right. Now, did you do uh, playing with any orchestra, like youth orchestras or your high school orchestra, or anything percussion? Yeah. Um, in the preparatory, they had this, uh, I did this for all of my high school years. For four years, they had this orchestra called the, the Peabody Sinfonia. Um, it was like a, a small orchestra. It's like the like the bass section. It was only one basses, maybe four cellos, and then five or six violas and second violins, first violins, with a full horn section. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was the, uh, the only percussion player was myself. I played timpanis. Mm-hmm. We, didn't, we didn't play any pieces that involved mallets or chimes and you know splash symbols you know they, mm-hmm. we just wanted timpani and that that was it so i did that all four years of my high school years i went to again went to peabody every saturday mm-hmm. took private lessons then i went to symphonia for about two or three hours um and that was great we actually um being with that ensemble i took my first tour overseas um uh, i think we went to we did some shows in um rotterdam and amsterdam mm-hmm. um you know, just playing at a lot of big, huge churches over there. Mm-hmm. Um, we didn't stay. At, we didn't stay at any hotels. We always stayed with host families, right. which was pretty cool. Um, you know, they really took care of us. Um, yeah, you know, just we toured all over there for, for for a few weeks, and I think we did one more tour, maybe of Iceland. Wow! Like two years later, but you know, we we did a lot of playing with that group. And once you graduate high school, it was just a rule. It was like, okay, you can't be in this program anymore because you're past the age right right so uh but it was a lot of fun playing timpani and i had experience playing a lot of total percussion being in high school um because my my other teacher at my high school he was a member of the baltimore symphony too his name is john Locke, mm-hmm. and he's still a member of the baltimore symphony so honestly at one point 
I thought I was going to be a classical uh, percussionist. Mm-hmm. You know, I was doing so much of that. We had jazz band in high school, but it wasn't a major thing, just like a lot of schools are. It's like, okay, we have a band, you can play in it, but, you know, our focus is classical music. So I was really, really good at um, playing timpani, snare drum parts, mm-hmm. mallet parts, um, and all of that stuff. You know, we, we just had to do it. Right. So, but um, things, even though I was in the jazz band, and the classical was the focus, jazz was slowly creeping along and about to slowly take over. Take over, right. <laughs> okay, cool. Well, this has been, I'm really excited about this part. Um, what, what? I mean, obviously you'd heard jazz, I'm sure, you know, mm-hmm. on and off, but was there kind of a moment or was there a record? Or was there somebody, one of your teachers that really kind of introduced it when, you know, that moment when you were like, okay, I think this is what I want to do with my music? Um, well, early hints of that started actually when I was a kid because uh, the great alto saxophonist Antonio Hart lived around the corner from us. Mm. And he was in my dad's band, that band Wolfpack. Mm-hmm. So I remember, you know, in the early lessons, I used to always work on, you know, not solos, just trying to play melodies. You know, again, my dad would give me hints of like, here, try this, try this. So one of the tunes that we we were working on was a Scrapple from the Apple. Mm-hmm. Now, when you see that song on paper, at least for that age, you see a a bunch of, uh, you know, just a bunch of notes. I was like, man, it's kind of hard. So Antonio played it for me. I was like, wow, he, <laughs> he read this straight down like it was nothing. <laughs> so um, that was kind of the beginnings. When I got to high school, our jazz band teacher, a guy named Dave Stambler, right now he's the, uh, I think, saxophone instructor at Penn State. Mm-hmm. Um, this guy, man, he sounded so much like um, like um, Cannonball Adderley. Mm-hmm. To me, at least, and um, you know, one of the first tunes he he played was "Doxy," and I was like, "Man, this cat is really playing the changes." And, you know, <laughs> I, I I feel something, mm-hmm. you know, happening. I didn't know how to do it, but I just felt it. Mm-hmm. So it was a combination of hearing him play, and then also um, a combination of when Antonio Hart's first CD came out. So. On his first CD, it was a young Christian McBride. I think Christian was like 18. Right. Uh, Lewis Nash, Margaret Miller, a guy named Tommy Williams on trumpet, and Rory Hargrove was on the record for like two tracks. That's a cool so I didn't know any of those guys, but I knew who Antonio, so I was like, I got to buy this record and support <laughs> it. And so after my practice sessions with my dad every day, we would always play a game of pool. And, uh, well, games of pool. And I would always like to start with that record. And from there, I would just go on and listen to like Spiral Gyra, which is a very important part of what's coming next. It is a track um, called Morning Dance by Spiral Gyra that I used to listen to a lot. And there's a reason why. I'll talk about that later. But, um, you know, I had to support Antonio. And, you know, I was like, man, these guys sound good. I wonder what it would sound like if I could do that. Mm-hmm. So it was a combination of this guy, Dave Stambler, and uh, Antonio that made me want to just continue on right so i didn't take any lessons you know we didn't i didn't have any lessons in how to improv and things like that but i just really just listen and listen and listen as much as i can thing that stood out on Antonio's record actually was, was Christian to me. I was like, man, this bass player, he's, I don't know what he's playing, but he sounds good. <laughs> so we were at the bookstore and I, I was just, you know, just browsing through the jazz section. I didn't really know anybody. I, I knew who Milt Jackson was. I knew Antonio and I knew Charlie Parker. And I think I've heard of Miles Davis. That was pretty much it. So, but I remember I saw this name. I, I saw a Christian McBride CD. I was like, that's the guy from Antonio's record. <laughs> Right. And it was his first record getting into it, but I was it kind of threw me off because I was like, man, why does this cat have his bases in the back of a car <laughs> in the trunk? <laughs> so, and I was like, wait, the, another guy from Antonio's record on the city, it was Hargrove. Right. So, you know, I bought Christian's record, and then from there, I just kept branching out. I was like, who's Joshua Redman? Who's Steve Teray? Who's Ray Brown? Who's Milt Hinton and right. Cyrus Chestnut? And it just kept going. You know, right, I just right. kept picking it up from there. I was like, man, I'm. More and more I listen to the stuff, I, it sounds good, and I, I want to play it. Right, right. So. Well, that's but that's such a, a a cool connection, and the whole process of becoming a jazz musician. You know, I I, I see this with other great musicians of of your generation, of our generation. That 
you know, hear something. And, and what you just said was, you know, you didn't have a lesson in how to improvise. You knew how to play your instruments, mm-hmm. but you heard the music. But you said you listen, 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 and one record leading to the other. And like, you know, the level of ear training that you were already getting in the jazz sound, you yeah. know, through the young cats, though. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm talking like Antonio Hart. I remember when I first went up to New York, I'm, he was one of the first musicians that I met. And that was that whole you know, mm-hmm. Young Lions. Yeah. I don't know, did you see him as, because he was playing with your dad, as like an old dude? Because he's probably about 10 years older than you or so. I didn't see him as an older dude. I mean, I mean, yes, I knew he was in high school. Right. Like he was oh, so he's in high school when he was playing with your dad. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, he wasn't Antonio Hart. Right, right, right. <laughs> he, he was just a guy in high school who, who used to come over to my house and take lessons and try to be fresh with my sisters. <laughs> but I have two older sisters. So that's but, when uh, you started bulking up, yeah. huh? <laughs> but that's all I knew him as. I just knew there was a talented guy who lived around the corner because right. we, we live in a really rough part of Baltimore. And I was like, Here, here's a guy who's actually doing something with his life. Right, right. So that's all I knew him as. I, did, I had no idea he was going to. Now, is this east side or west side? This is the west side of Baltimore. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Only reason I know that is from The Wire. That's one of my favorite yeah, shows. Right. So I pretend like I know the geography. Yeah. West side, okay. So. Uh, yeah, just seeing him, I was like, man, this is the cat. I, you know, he was a huge inspiration for me. Yeah, him and, and again, but but because but I only had that one interaction with Antonio. But really, it came from Dave Stambler, mm-hmm. this guy. He to hear him. Uh, I think we had jazz band twice per week, but that was enough. But this was your regular high school. This was my regular high school. Right. Yeah, you know, just to hear him, this guy played twice a week in right in front of me, and was, he would play with you guys a lot. Yeah, that's they, no, that was pretty cool because you know some teachers. They're just gonna sit there and, and tell you what to do. Right. But this guy will actually pull out his horn and and play and let right. us hear what it's supposed to sound like. I'm right. just like, man, you sound great. And uh, in my jazz band, I played vibes, but I played a fair amount of piano too because mm-hmm. we didn't have a piano player. Mm-hmm. So uh, and you know the two instruments are kind of similar. So I was okay at piano, but it, it, I must have made an impression on him that he started hiring me for gigs. Wow. So I started learning. Little tunes, you know, he would tell, you know, his his band focused mainly on, like, the swing era stuff, like mm-hmm. Cheek to Cheek and things like that. I didn't know any of those tunes. I knew songs like what Cats played in Baltimore, like, uh, you know, some of, so like the, a lot of the African-American guys, musicians, mm-hmm. they played, you know, Sugar and, right. you know, get, get those bluesy songs, real right, right. organ-type songs. And uh, I, didn't, I wasn't used to hearing Cheek to Cheek, and I remember Dave st- telling me, he was like, man... Warren, if you're going to be a jazz musician and you want to work all the time, you got to learn this style of music. Right, right, right. So, you know, um, I, I learned a fair amount of those tunes through certain gigs with him. And I did gigs with him my um, junior year and senior year, just, you know, little weddings or right. whatever. I didn't care. It was a chance to play. So. Man, our little band in height, we, we might have still been in middle school, eighth, ninth grade or something. We somehow got a gig at like a 50th high school reunion mm-hmm. from our high school from U City High School yeah. and I don't know why they hired us but you know it's 50 year from whatever the mid 80s <laughs> so like they they started requesting so we're in there playing the little bit of jazz that we knew which was like a couple of blueses mm-hmm. and maybe like Yardbird Suite that somebody had like some sheet music yeah, yeah, yeah. but then they're like can you, can you guys play In the Mood and we didn't know it <laughs> I mean the bass player we were playing with the older guy great bass player Jeff Anderson but like we didn't none of us knew it so he's trying to tell us he's like it's like a kind of like an A flat blues yeah, so yeah. we slopped our way through it but these old folks were looking at us like you guys are not musicians yeah, if you not know that <laughs> But it's the same thing. It's like certain tunes, you know. Yeah. But sometimes that's the only way you got to get on the gig, and mm-hmm. then, then you know you got to know them. Yeah, yeah. So, wow, that's great, man. Um, okay, so you're going through high school. So by the time you are finishing high school, you're feeling pretty well-versed in jazz. The the kind of, you know, Antonio's record to McBride mm-hmm. to Redmond to all these different folks. That must have led you quite quite down the rabbit hole of, of jazz CDs, I'm sure. So, I mean, like how much... Like, when did you get in specifically to the Vibes players, like the history of uh, of the Vibes players in jazz? Honestly, uh, still years before that. You know, my dad was always always playing Bobby Hutchinson, Milt Jackson, mm-hmm. and uh, Lionel Hampton, all those guys. He really stuck with those guys. For some re- reason, he never really played Gary Burton mm-hmm. and uh, Cal Jader. He didn't play those guys around the house. Um, but, yeah, he pretty much stuck with Milt Jackson. Not even Lionel Hampton. He stuck with Milt Jackson. Bobby Hutchinson and Rory Ayers. Right. Those were like the three guys that I heard all the time. Right. Um, remember those sessions? Well, when I said we played those games of pool? Yeah. So along with Antonio's record, we played that tune, Morning Dance. So um, Dave Samuels, 
he was a prominent member of Spiral Gyra mm -hmm. in the 80s and somewhat of the 90s, which is pretty good for a, a vibraphone player because, you know, to have a major game like that when Spiral Gyra was really at the top of their game, right. it was really good. But he took the song Morning Dance and he had a great marimba solo on there. You would think that Mill Jackson, you know, as bluesy as he played, you know, would really make it click for me. Nah, Dave really did. Mm -hmm. And he was the one that made me, not saying he made me, but after hearing him, I was like, I got to study with this guy. Mm -hmm. And I found out he found out that he taught at Berkeley. Mm -hmm. That's what made me want to enroll there. So I was, I've been checking out vibraphone players for the longest time, but Dave was the one I really started checking out. Right, right. So I had hints of Milt Jackson in me because I learned how to play blues from him i didn't really understand bobby bobby was on another world yet. Yeah, yeah, yeah and rory he you know he was playing stuff from hip-hop and you know just stuff with the groove, groove so yep. but again for me that was still like he was playing a lot of blues scales he just happened to be over with a, with a groove right so but dave his stuff really made it click for me so um i kind of took combinations of dave rory and um milk mm -hmm. to, to try to put them together right. but dave came out of me the most and uh, yeah, that that led to uh, September of 1997, my first year at Berkeley. Right. Okay. So you get up to Berkeley, you make that that trip up I-95 or whatever it is up to Boston mm -hmm. from Baltimore, um, and then you get there. I mean, that must have been you know I know all the amazing musicians that were there around that time. Mm -hmm. And then did you start studying with Dave Samuels immediately? Immediately. Okay. I studied with Dave for my first six semesters. And then my seventh semester, I went to somebody else. I just wanted to try it, mm -hmm. but it didn't necessarily work. And then, um, I mean, he's great. It just didn't work for me. Right. And then I went back today for my last semester. So um, my, just to be quite honest, I mean, my only true lessons with Dave were really my first semester. Um, for me, my lessons came outside of school. You know, mm -hmm. I just tried to play as much as possible. Right. And there was a great club for that in Boston. And there still is. It's still there. It's a historical landmark. It's called Wally's Cafe. But um, playing with, being with Dave was just awesome, man. So, um, yeah, I, I studied with him. He was So what, what What were the things that you – were there specific things that you got from him or was it kind of just a lot of playing together? What, what were the lessons like? Just a lot of playing semester. together. I think right, his, I his, his lessons consisted of just playing, like – the room that we played, it wasn't tight, you know, it was pretty spacious, so we had lots of mallet instruments in there. So it depends on what he wanted to do, but sometimes he would play marimba, I play vibes, or we just go back and forth. But he would bring out um, certain tunes, like just, you know, just straight jazz, but then he would bring out some of his arrangements that were in odd meter. So he gave me my first experience in that, like playing in 7-4 uh, and things like that. Right. Um, you know, just tried to teach me how to be a more lyrical player like uh i remember one day i probably played something simple like have you met miss jones in my lessons and after i finished he said to me he said yeah you sound good you know you're playing the changes but everything you play is the same <laughs> you know you, I, I, i'd like for you to try to take it up to another level so instead of him telling me how to take it up to another another level he just played for me i just continued to listen and listen mm, so. nice that's great so then um, Wally's. Now, I knew Wally's was going to come up, and it's funny because, like, I've never lived in Boston, but knowing so many musicians that came through mm -hmm. Boston, I feel like I know the place. I mean, of course, I've been in there and I've hung, but I know that, you know, that was a great place, you know, exchanging ideas, high-level gigs and stuff. Mm -hmm. But who were the musicians that were you playing, and what kind of stuff were you guys doing around that time? Um, well, the first person who brought, who brought me to uh, who brought me to Wally's was a, a drummer named John Lampkin. Mm-hmm. He's from Baltimore, and because um, at first you were like, 
only hanging out with Baltimore cats, right? You're like, nobody else. <laughs> I wasn't even doing that. My first year in college, I was hanging out in somebody's room trying to play PlayStation all night. <laughs> and I went to school during the day. I was like, whatever. But John said, man, you know, why don't you come down to the club? And, I mean, just to show you how – I mean, I took college, college seriously, but just not the first semester for some reason. I came to college without an instrument. Like, my dad dropped me off with a bag full of clothes and a radio. <laughs> and, uh, you know, one of those little portable CD things that I could carry. Right. But – uh. So John, on one of his trips back to Baltimore to visit his family, he stopped at my parents' house, brought the vibraphone back for me. So we came down to um, Wally's, and he, want, he wanted to, te- to check me out. So he said, all right, Warren, we're going to play whatever you want to play. So I called all the tunes I know, you mm-hmm. know, again, Sugar, Summertime, <laughs> um, uh, Grooving High, you know, stuff like that. I just knew how to play all those. All the classics. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so... After the night was over, and the gig paid very little, but you know, for 17 years old, 50 bucks was cool for me. Right. So, uh, I think the gig there still pays 50 bucks. Yeah, it still does. <laughs> <laughs> so, he, they said, Yeah, yeah, you sound good. Why don't you come back tomorrow night? I said, Cool. So, I left the instrument there, and we came back the next, the next night, and I was ready to play. I was about to call those same songs again. He said, All right, we're not doing that. You're going to have to sit, sit here and check out these songs we're playing. Now, the songs that they call are definitely tunes I think everybody should know. But one in particular, it always just comes to mind, is uh, You Stepped Out of a Dream. Mm-hmm. So they started playing that song. So as usual, I didn't, well, I didn't know the melody, and there was al- always somebody next to me. I think, um, let's see, it could have been Darren Barrett playing at the time. Mm-hmm. It was either him. It had to be one of his three players. It was Darren Barrett, Wayne Escoffrey, or Jimmy Green. One of those three were on the front line with me. And the rest of the band was uh, John, uh, a guy named Craig Palasco. Craig, he plays bass with uh, Michael Bublé now. And uh, the pianist was probably uh, Richard Johnson. Mm-hmm. So I didn't play the melody. Wayne, or whoever the horn player was, they always took the first solo. So I remember I was used to sit down because they had a little, little step, like right where I, I was set up. So I would sit down with some paper. I was like, all right, let me write these. Let me write these changes out. <laughs> but I was like, man, I can't write all these changes out to every single tune they playing tonight. I was like, let me just go here, rely, rely on my ear, like how I used to do when I was in middle school and high school. So I was like, all right, obviously the song is in C. I was like, let me just kind of listen to if I hear the next chord movement that's known in jazz, the two five ones. Right, <laughs> so right, I was right. like, let me just listen for those. All right, I hear that one here. I hear it here. I might miss it this time, but I'll get it the next time around. So, you know, it just slowly things like that started to happen. You right. Know? I mean, that's a tricky tune, too. That's not like your most standard standard. That's true. <laughs> but, you know, it was still, it was, it was enough 2 five ones in there and the whole three six two five movement that I could hear. I was like, all right, that's one song I got there. And I think one of the songs that they really called back then that I remember that totally confused me was uh, John Coltrane's Straight Street. Because I just, it was kind of a weird form, I guess. And yeah. I just didn't understand and i was i was so used to most songs at the time starting on major chords and i was thinking i was like who starts a song on a b minor seven then going to a a two five some right immediately but you know um you know long story short you know i just kept frequenting this club all the time well at least whenever whenever i could even if i even if i wasn't on the gig you know i got cool with the uh the bouncers and the, and the club owners because you had to be 21 but they would say, okay, you know, he's played here a few times. He's cool. Just make sure you go in the back around the corner so nobody can see you. You know, <laughs> just get some cops walking here. Right. But um, I would just go in there and just listen and listen and as much as I could. Um, well, that's so that's like the fourth time in this interview that you said listen, listen, listen. So yeah. I, I just want to <laughs> note that so everyone's hearing that because that, that whole process of becoming uh, – you know a, a great musician that can improvise and that can be creative i mean it's such a recurring thing yeah. and and you know what we're not, you were, we're what, not even just listening to live stuff i was buying records a lot too right right because at, at the time you know i saved up a lot of i saved up probably like a thousand bucks maybe two thousand bucks from doing gigs with that guy dave Stample in high school mm-hmm. but uh you know, I was so bad, you know, managing money because I was too busy buying phone cards all the time to talk to <laughs> ex-girlfriends back home. So I quickly went through that money. So I needed some more money. So what happened, How what I started listening to, what what I had to do, I, I eventually got a job. 
So I started working at uh, Cheers. You remember the TV show? Yeah. I started working there, and I got a little bit of money from a check. So Tower Records used to be right across the street from Berkeley. Yeah. So every Tuesday, I think it was, we, we had the new releases coming out when, when, for the jazz section. So right. I would always go upstairs and say, you know, and I think Verve was really hot at the time. Yeah. Something always was coming out in Verve. So right. I was like, all right, let me go see what's happening, what's new. Right. So I spent all of my money on, on, um, on CDs. So that way, if I didn't... If I couldn't uh, make it down to the club, I would just be in the room checking out stuff. If I wasn't in my room checking out stuff, I would probably go to uh, uh, another good friend of mine, Jaleel Shaw, because he had a huge CD collection. Right. And going over to his house and seeing some of the older cats, because for some reason, when I first got to college, I really wasn't interested in them. I was, I had a very ar- arrogant attitude, like, <laughs> oh, these, these cats are dead. I don't want to hear that. Well, I mean, because <laughs> when you were talking about before, just even like the, the, the gateway into it through Antonio Hart, yeah. and then all the other young musicians, yeah. Roy I, and Christian. I wanted to hear newer stuff. Yeah, yeah, but no, I was I, the same way. I had to realize, I was like, wait, let me check out Duke Ellington. Miles Davis kept going, so you know, I learned more tunes that way, and I learned how to hear them correctly, because if somebody nowadays recorded a not all the time, but if somebody nowadays recorded a, a, a standard, chances are they're going to re- rearrange it. And I'm going to think, okay, this is how the That's song right, goes. And I was right. like, no, nah, I got to go back. Let's hear how the song was originally recorded. Right, so. right. That's cool. All right, so I'm going to jump ahead a little bit. Mm-hmm. I, mean, I love hearing about the Berkeley days, but we could we could spend three hours on that <laughs> and still be talking about Wallace. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I want to jump ahead to uh, fast forward a little bit to your time with Christian McBride and how that started. And I believe that was at the, at the Aspen... Uh, Institute, the Aspen mm-hmm. School, right? Yeah, that was the year 2000. Okay. Um, I remember that because my daughter was just born. And I remember I skipped out on one of his class because I wanted to go talk to my daughter. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, um, I met Christian there, and uh, he was just beginning his big band writing. And this was Aspen Jazz Institute, right? Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Okay. Aspen Snowmass, something like that. Yep. But he was just beginning his big band writing, and uh, he was... He had wrote an arrangement of his of his tune uh, "Shade of the Cedar Tree," and if you knew me at, at Berkeley, everybody knew. I was like, okay, I want to play with this guy one day. I mean, there were a lot of guys I wanted to play with, but I really wanted to play with him. So he was like, man, I'm sorry, you know, I don't have a vibes part for you, but I was like, it's cool, I got you. And he didn't believe me, but you know, I played the melody down without any music. I played through all the changes, and um, after we were done, he was, you know, we just kept in contact. He gave me his number. He said, man, I'm gonna call you for a gig one day. Now. I didn't really believe that because there were a lot of things that happened prior to Christian, you know, a lot of random gigs and, you know, some pretty good gigs, but, you know, people said they would call and then they called for a gig and I never heard from them again. They start thinking about, oh, man, I got to get the vibes for them. Yes. I got <laughs> to find a place on the stage <laughs> yeah. for it. A lot of stuff goes gets involved <laughs> with that. But, you know, he Christian held, came through with his promise and, you know, I would say eight years later after that moment in Aspen, you know, I received a, I was sitting at home in Baltimore and I received a call from a, a woman. I don't know who she was, but she said, hi, I'd like to know if Christian, uh, well, Christian wants to use you in his band at the village Vanguard for a week. And I thought it was a prank call. I really, I was like, stop playing. Who, who is this? And they, they're like, no, we're for real. So, um, you know, Christian had his, jazz slash funk band going on at the time with Terry on and Ron and Jeff Keezer. Right. And he CMB. was calling this, yeah, calling yeah. this the Christian McBride, another situation. <laughs> um, and that was with, uh, you know, myself, Eric Reed, Carl Allen, and Steve Wilson. And we came and played uh, Six Wonderful Nights at the Vanguard. And, you know, I thought that was going to be it. And I was like, cool, you know, <laughs> we did the gig, time to go home, which is what we did. But then people were talking about the band so much and, um, and so they booked two more gigs. We did the gig in South America. And, you know, I'm still wet behind the ears. I, I don't know how big this stuff was. I was like, cool, we're going to South America to do a gig. The next thing you know, they said, all right, we're going to go play the Moderate Jazz Festival. I had no idea what that was. I was like, cool, we're just going to play in front, in front of some more people. <laughs> and right after we finished Monterey, um, they said, we're going to stay out there and we're going to record a record. And we recorded Kind of, kind of Brown in uh, Fantasy Studios in Berkeley, California. And that took a whole week. And I still didn't, I was like, all right, cool, we finished the record. I've done many records in my life. That, I'm just going to go home. And I vividly remember saying, Christian's manager, he was saying, he was like, no, you guys are going to be working. And I was saying, okay, we'll see what happens. But, you know, seven years later, minus one pianist, added another pianist, and Peter Martin. 
uh, you know, we toured that record for a good, what, seven years almost, right? Right. Something like that. Right. That was Inside Straight. That Inside was really the, the, the genesis yep. of it, and it wasn't called Inside Straight at the very beginning, right? Wasn't didn't Christian solicit that from? I forget. No, he, he asked somebody kid? to name the band. He put out a contest, and people yeah. sent in lots of lots of uh, names, but he liked that one. Yeah, and um, yeah, we seven years and two records later. Yeah, and I think. Um, and some unreleased records too, didn't we do some? Yeah, yeah, we I did a like live record at the Vanguard. Never <laughs> it's, it's came somewhere up, in so. the in the cloud somewhere. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I, you know, I know from talking to Christian too that you know you're real casual about that about saying about all that. But you know that you were really the reason that that band. I mean, it was a great band, and, I, and mm. you know, so many great personalities in there. But you were really the reason that that band came in came into existence. I know that Christian was not thinking about doing a quintet with vibraphone i mean mm-hmm. he, you know christian knows every instrument and, yeah, yeah. and loves and he knows the history of this music like none of us do but um you know he said that he had you on his mind for those years and was like when i get to a situation where i can do this i'm going to create something around this the music mm-hmm. the other musicians the whole vibe of it yeah. oh sorry there you yeah. go <laughs> the whole vibe of it yeah and has he talked to you about that at all he did he was like man this band is specifically for you and I really got to, you know, un- really understand him when um, I remember one time I, I I just couldn't make a gig that they were trying to work on. And I know, you know, when other people have missed a gig, they were like, oh, we'll just get somebody else. So there's been plenty right. of subs for, every, for everybody who's missed a gig. But this one gig that I couldn't make, they was like, all right, we're just not going to do it. Right. Yeah, I got canceled <laughs> off that because of you. No, I, I, like, I remember wait. that gig. <laughs> I was like, wait a minute, what? why not? They were like, nah, th- there's no replacing Warren Wolf. <laughs> That's I right. Like, I think I have okay. an email saved somewhere that says exactly that. <laughs> I was like, if I can't make it, I'll just, just make sure you get a sub. They're like, Warren can't make it, gig's done. <laughs> yeah. Like, so. This dude has juice up in yeah, there. Yeah. So, but, you know, that was, it was great times in that band. And, you know, people still ask about it. I actually saw... Um, Something in one of those jazz magazines about the polls, and people are still voting for that band. Right. So I actually emailed him. I said, "Man, when are we getting back out?" You know, he was like, "To be continued." <laughs> right. So right. I, I tell people now, I was like, "Man, the band is just on a extended hiatus. We'll be back at some point." Right. So. Well, and I think it was a great. I mean, you know, Chris, you, you really being the impetus for that band coming together, and that's how we met. You mm-hmm. know, I mean, I've been hearing about you because you're one of these musicians that you hear about you know people yeah. like man this dude from baltimore plays vibes and you're like vibes okay you must be serious then <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. If, if, if words getting to new york and the midwest and stuff so i mean you were definitely on my radar but um you know anytime christian calls me and i'm sure for you like it's it's you know it's going to be correct and it's not going to be you don't know what it's going to be but it's going to be something fun and the personalities that he puts together mm-hmm. i think he puts a lot of you know thought i mean he goes on the instinct but it's also a reason, and I and I think that you also provided a great thing for Christian because he can play so many different kinds of music, and the CMB was such a great group. But maybe he was kind of feeling like it, it was either run its course or maybe something to come come yeah. back to later or whatever. But for a lot of the you know really like hardcore jazz people around the world, you know they saw that band as like okay, Christian's coming back to like what we like to see him do. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we know he can play like so many different things and electric and acoustic and 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 write and arrange and all that kind of stuff. But it's always fun to see him, you know, back in that situation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, so it was just, it, it was a, I was honored to be a part of it. And I'm so glad that, you know, we came together in that situation. I mm-hmm. mean, I remember we were hanging from the beginning. You yeah, know? Yeah, <laughs> we yeah. were hanging 
and making music and doing all that. I want to just share one quick story before we before we take this out. It's been so fun, but mm. talking about Inside Straight because, or, or maybe you could tell it because I think your perspective on it is better. But <laughs> the whole thing of the bean pie, <laughs> the Kareem Abdul Jabbar, yeah. the Village Vanguard, that whole connection, <laughs> the van in Europe. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. Uh, let's see. It was my birthday at the Village Vanguard. I think it was. Yeah, it was my birthday. Kareem Abdul Jabbar came to the Vanguard and, uh, I think in the middle of the set, you know, Christian said, hey, y'all, we have a special birthday. My vibraphone is Warren Wolf. And then the next thing you know, Christian's manager, Andre Guest, comes come through the crowd with a with a candle lit up <laughs> on a bean pie. <laughs> so I thought it was just one bean pie. So anyway, we go to the back in the, with the quote-unquote dresser room on the Vanguard. And, the uh, kitchen. Yeah, the kitchen. <laughs> we went back there just hanging, and there's a whole bunch of bean pies that Andre had bought. So he, he going all the way uptown to get them. Yeah, too. went all your town to get some bean pies, and so he hands them out to everybody <laughs> in the band, and everybody's eating them except for you. Right. So, meanwhile, Kareem is sitting back there. He just has this look on his face. He says to Peter, "He was like, are you going to eat that?'" <laughs> <laughs> and then I just remember you were like, "Oh, you can have it. It's cool." <laughs> so. Oh yeah, that was great. Yeah, that was fun times. What you know? And, and so the whole uh, that whole thing about the bean pie came up because we were a tour right before that. Maybe that summer before yes, we're over that, in Europe. That part two, <laughs> I forgot about we're, that. Yeah, part. yeah. So uh, we're in the van, oh, and we're talking about. I don't know. There was some kind of like terrorist bombing. It was something happening at the time. Yeah, something in the news, and we're you know like Warren, you had because I remember we were we talking about, about Muslims. We were talking about Muslims, like, you know, Muslim relations, something. and uh, But you had, like, your headphones, because you were always on the phone. Like, that's when you first got your international plan happening. Yes, yeah. I mean, you were on the phone, you know. And um, so you were listening to music or something. We're all talking. And then uh, we kept talking about Muslims should this, this, la, 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 la. And you just kind of jumped in. You were like, say, man, do you guys like bean pies? I love bean pies. <laughs> <laughs> and we fell out. I mean, Christian just fell out laughing, all of us, because yeah. it was so red. And, and you were like, what? And and um, we're like, man, it's just so random. You're like, when I heard you guys talk about that Muslim stuff, it made me think of bean pies. <laughs> so that that the the bean pies for your birthday was a long time in the yes. coming. That was a plan. Yeah, you know? <laughs> it was. Yeah. But uh, man, war. This is so great, man. We could we could talk all day. So this is definitely we're gonna have to come back and uh, continue things because we <laughs> only scratched the surface. But yeah, um, there's a lot more. <laughs> there's a lot more. But thank you for, you know, just sharing your. Um, your process, you know, like the, the the history of 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 you getting involved with this music and all the, you know, there's always so much that goes into it beyond just I can get up there, I'm a bad MF on the vibes. I mean, this is this is a process, and and you know, seeing you and just hearing about you know your childhood and building up and and, mm. and your thirst for for information and knowledge and ear training, all that stuff, it's great stuff. So thank cool. you, Warren. Thank you. Thanks for joining us this week. And a big special thanks to our guest, Warren Wolf. You can go to OpenStudioNetwork.com to check out Warren's courses and all of our other courses.